0: Good day
1: and welcome to the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, and it's just me today. I just wrapped up a conversation with Keith Jenkins, Cincinnati Bearcats reporter from Cincinnati.com slash Cincinnati Enquirer. Great conversation. We went deep on the fact that the University of Cincinnati Bearcats are officially the seventh ranked team in the college football playoff. Not insignificant news. In fact, some might say it's great news. Some are disappointed. We'll get into that. We'll, we'll We'll tell you exactly how you should feel. We also get into that hypothetical BYU game that let's just keep it short won't be happening anymore or if it does, Keith Jenkins will tell you why it does. Uh, aside from that, we do get into some basketball talk. We preview what what Keith Jenkins expects from some of the players. Mike Saunders Jr., Zach Harvey. We even talk a little bit of women's basketball. Michelle Clark -Clark Hurd really has things humming. Without further ado, let's get into it. Keith Jenkins. We are now joined by Keith Jenkins, Cincinnati Bearcats reporter at Cincinnati.com slash The Enquirer. Keith, thank you for joining the Cincy Slang and Bearcat podcast today.
0: Happy to be back, man. It's been a little minute.
1: <laughs> it has. It's been too long, sir, and that's on us. Uh, you know, we're, we're, uh, we kind of fell into a bit of a haze there mid-summer or late summer and then going into the fall. Look, COVID's affected us, man. It's affecting everybody sure. just as our scheduling habits. Uh, but sure. I was certainly excited to get you on tonight. appreciate you joining us last minute here to talk about the announcement of the college football playoff rankings. They came in. Everyone was uh, on pins and needles waiting to hear where the Bearcats would fall. Is it going to be disrespectful? Is it going to be uh, beyond our wildest expectations? I would say coming in at seventh in the country is about where everyone expected.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good spot. I think um, it's honestly probably best case scenario, frankly. I was a little concerned that we get the BYU treatment, um, maybe not as harshly, but a little bit. They come in at 14th and the chair afterwards, who's also the um, athletic director at Iowa, he said, it just came down to one strength of schedule, which you know BYU doesn't have a counter for that. I mean, unfortunately, COVID destroyed their their schedule, and they're getting punished for it, maybe perhaps unfairly. But it is what it is. I mean, you play who's on your schedule, um, and Cincinnati's schedule is just better. I mean, they they pointed to the UCF win, which was huge. They pointed at the SMU win, um, which is huge, and they pointed at um, the fact that they have they still have to play Tulsa, maybe even twice. Probably twice, um, which is a t- which they feel is a top 25 team um, in the country coming in there at 25. So, UC schedules better. Um, their defense is better. Um, BYU's offense is legit. They got a really freaking good offense, um, and their quarterback is an NFL-caliber player. Um, but UC just they have the better resume, and I think the fact that they came in at seven is huge. Um, they have a puncher's chance. They obviously still need. Um, a lot of help, Um, but if they can just win out, they should look great on Saturday against Temple, Um, and if they can beat Tulsa probably twice here at the end of the season, they can do everything that they can possibly do to put themselves in that playoff. They obviously need some people to stumble in front of them, but to come in at seven for the first week, that's, that's good news, great news for UC.
1: I'm glad, I'm glad you're saying that because I, I viewed it the same way. You know, I, I think there's people who can make an argument that we're better than seventh in the country based on our performance this year, based on how the sure. team has played. But let's face it. I mean, the way college football is set up, it's set up for the power conferences to be in an advantageous position, um, even when you're not playing games necessarily, because a lot of these yeah. teams aren't playing the games. But when you consider the fact that the Pac-12 is essentially out of it, uh, we're up against... Uh, the big names of the SEC, you're looking for some slips, slip ups from Texas A&M. You're mm-hmm. looking for Alabama to take care of business at this point. And you're probably rooting for Notre Dame to to finish up their schedule undefeated and and uh, go on to beat Clemson in that championship game for their conference.
0: Yeah, you, you wanted Notre Dame to lose against Clemson. Honestly, right. that win earlier in the year crushed. I mean, that was a blow. Um, obviously there's still a lot of things that can, that can happen between now and December 20th, which is the last uh, rankings. And and that's the one that matters. I mean, these, of course this one matters and the next three matter, but the where you want to be on December 20th is, is the date. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're not in the power five and unfortunately, you know, you can say recruit, they. you see recruits like a power five and they got great players and it shouldn't matter what conference you're in. And yeah, you're right. But yeah, you know, as long as they're in the AAC and they're not in the ACC or the Big 12 or one of those, it'll matter. Um, but again, I mean, the being seventh, you know, this is the highest ranking that any Group of Five team has ever had. Um, it shows you the amount of um, faith and, and 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 trust and awe and impressiveness <laughs> that they have yeah. in UC. Um, so seven is a good spot. If they just went out um, and went out and. Put the uh, committee in a tough spot. Well,
1: this is kind of where COVID benefited the Bearcats. We hit on this earlier in the season on the podcast, but it's it's the fact that these other conferences like the Big Ten, the Pac-12, they got off to these slow starts in terms of just actually starting to play games. And so in terms of where the Bearcats were able to climb in the rankings as early as they did, that was unprecedented for a program of our nature and, and being a group of five team. And so I think the fact that we were able to to do a lot of damage early in the season that Ritter was able to pick up his game, game four into the season with SMU. And it's just carried through that, that now we're in a position that with weeks left in the season, we're already seventh. And so as teams take more losses, which we're guaranteed to see more in the sec and Mm -hmm. in the ACC, we're in as good of a position as you
0: can be uh, to climb up and inch up in those rankings. Yeah. That, uh, that postponement, um, at Tulsa game I guess it was October 17th I think it was um that proved to be a blessing in disguise um I think everyone was kind of nervous about it and upset and I think Tulsa fans even thought that Cincinnati backed out which is ridiculous <laughs> um but that was a blessing in disguise and that Dez was struggling right like he he I mean the defense was clicking and I just remember telling some people yeah, I even wrote it. I mean, I I think that they're a really good team, but they got to make sure they're not winning, you know, despite Dez's play. They, he has to be a reason why they're winning. And they were able to get it, build some, you know, continuity there during that, you know, unofficial added bye week um, and really were able to, you know, get some rhythm and get some things going. And I, you got to remember, I man, they didn't have a true offseason. They didn't have that. You got so many new pieces on that offense. Michael Warren's gone, you know. You got a brand new tight end in there. They got brand new receivers. Michael Young is new. Um, So I think they really had, they needed some time to figure out each other. And that postponement was huge. And I even asked Mike Denbrock that because, like, I mean, as a fan, we're all wondering what the hell happened with Dez. Like something happened. So I asked him that. And this story's up. You can check it out. But I said, what is the secret? What happened with Dez? And he said, yeah, that that postponement ended up being huge for us because that gave us some extra time to really build that chemistry. And you're seeing it, I mean, Des is freaking balling. Um, I think he's a guy that none of us, um, at least at this point, expected him to get some NFL buzz and it's coming. I mean, he's a big guy. He really looks like, you know, if I can compare him, he looks like Colin Kaepernick. And I know that's a weird comparison, but as far as how he's built, his ability to run and has a strong arm, Um, he's really shaping in the form and it's pretty impressive to see the run that he's on. I think 21 touchdowns in the last four or five games. This is insane. So they got a good squad, man. And to to see them at seventh, I'm I'm excited about how these next few weeks will shake out.
1: So in those conversations with Denbrock about Des Ritter and, and, and noting that the unofficial bye week against Tulsa kind of rallied the team, rallied Des, more chemistry, That was kind of a turning point, too, in terms of Dez really leaning more on his legs to generate Mm -hmm. offense and using it as a weapon because that's exactly what it is. It's pretty much his biggest asset is that he's great Mm -hmm. at read options. He's great at decision making. He knows exactly how to extend plays and and do damage, especially in the red zone. Was there a concerted effort from coaches to get him to lean on that skill set more? Or is it more just the matchups, the the style of play or Dez saying, "Taking it on his own shoulders. I'm just going to start running the ball more.
0: Yeah, I asked that. And I think what what Dembrock told me was all they wanted to do was to give him that confidence that he's still their guy. Like, if you remember in fall camp, there was a quarterback battle. You know, it wasn't a given that Des would be the starter against Austin P in week one. I mean, he had, you know, Ben Bryant behind him. And then they freaking just got Mr. Ohio, you know, and Evan Prater, the highest rated recruit ever. Um, So there was a lot of pressure on Dez um, to come out and to perform. I think in camp, he obviously separated himself. But once the real bullets started to fly, quote unquote, um, you know, Dembrock even told me he felt like Dez had the weight of the world on his shoulders. Um, And he felt like if, if he didn't go out and make a play, it just wouldn't be made. Um, and that made Des kind of start to press and, and and throw Aaron passes, and he's I mean the deep balls were so inaccurate early on, and now they're they're on, on their own point. Um, so I think he was just really pressing and put a lot of pre- putting a lot of pressure on himself there early, and they just had to tell him like, "Bro, you're our guy. Don't worry about it." And he Des told us um, that seeing SMU brings something out of him. Um, he's got, you know, if you remember, what was it, two seasons ago, he went the freak off against SMU. And he he kind of joked with us and said, I don't want to say that it's something about SMU, but it's something about SMU. But it's something about SMU. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think it was a combination of just him, them taking that, making that conservative effort to say, hey, Dez, relax. You're still our guy. We're not benching you. Ben's not coming in. We're not going with Evan. You're still the number one guy. You're still the leader of this team. Um, and that gave him confidence. And then, you know, Mike also said, coach Dimbrock said that I want to make sure as a play caller that I'm giving him a lot of easy reads early on. I'm not, you know, putting too much on his plate to start a game. I'm giving him a handful of easy throws, a lot of easy reads so that he can get in the rhythm. He's very intelligent. Obviously he's a great player, very smart, But I mean, everybody needs something to get them going. Everybody needs some sort of to get them in a rhythm. And he's been doing that. And when you watch the games, there's a lot of easy passes, um, a lot of easy reads. And then the thing that's helping them, too, is Dokes is a machine like Dokes is running the ball really well. So when they when they run that that RPO, you don't know who to attack because Dokes is running so well and then Des could break it for 80 um, so it's, it's a combination of things. According to Denbrock. he didn't say like, hey, run more. Um, right. It was like, hey, bro, you're still our guy. Just go out there and make plays and do what you do. So I'm happy for him because he he was obviously down um, and his confidence is sky high and, and he deserves everything that's coming to him right now.
1: Agreed. It's been extremely impressive to watch him bounce back from that start, especially given the, the pressure from the outside. You know, you take a look at social media and everybody's Perfect. not everybody, but there's there's a segment of the fan base that's calling for the for the backup. And, of and that's understandable. Fans, fans are emotional. Fans want to see they have high expectations for this team. Yep. And to to see that and to still respond is extremely telling about who Des is as a quarterback and as a person um, I, in terms of how how they're coaching now and how they're running plays. When they were playing Army, I just remember it seemed like they were going for so much on every play. Guys yeah. were running open down the field, but we were we were going way down the field. It seemed like far too often it wasn't who we are. It's okay 100%. to me that the Bearcats would build their offense around what their quarterback does exceptionally well, which is yep. running, which is short passes, which is uh, quick outs. Those things have worked really well for the Bearcats. It's good to see them get back to that.
0: 100%. 100%. Really, really cool to see them click in on both sides. I even, I even asked Dembrock, when your defense is as good as it is, how does that impact your job as an offensive play caller and I think he kind of took it as a slight in the sense that we're more than a great defense so I think him um look we all got egos right and Mike wants to be just as part of this magical year as he as anyone is um so I think Mike takes it as a challenge coach Denbrock takes it as a challenge that um he wants his offense to be just as big and just as big a, a bigger part of this um success and it's it's doing that. And, and I, you know, you look at guys like Michael Young and, and, and Lenny T and, and just these guys who, you know, Josh, you know, Josh had a monster game last week, um, but
1: they, monster game and he didn't get credit for his biggest play of the game.
0: Right. You know, what I mean, it could have been even larger. So, I mean, it's just they got a lot of weapons. And um, I, I mean, you know, I really believe this. And when people ask me, you know, we're in Ohio. So the can they beat Ohio State? Um, I really think that they could play with anyone, and I mean anyone because they as good as the, their defense is legit. they're I mean, they got they got it's elite. it's one of the it's definitely one of the top ten defenses in the country. I'd say they have the best secondary in the nation, and I don't even think that's arguable. I mean, I you know i don't I don't think anyone who would really argue that when you look at the film and you look at the stats. um but then they got a lot of guys up front. Um, with, you know, Maje and Elijah. Elijah's hurt. Hopefully he can come back soon because he's a big part of that, but those are NFL guys, and then you got guys like, you know, Beavers and Jarrell White who are playing out of their minds. Like, Jarrell is, I'm six foot 200 pounds. Jarrell's maybe 5'10", you know, and he's maybe 205, maybe, um and he is lights out leading tackler on every play he's just an absolute dog out there um and so defensively they can play with anyone and now offensively if des continues to take care of the football makes the right pl- raids makes the right plays anybody i'll put him up against anybody
1: i love it on on Jarrell White is there is there any information about where he stands injury wise i know he had to leave the last game um, I think it was the shoulder injury. Is he yeah. expected to bounce back pretty well, or they it might did, give him time off?
0: Yeah, I mean, the unfortunate thing is, is Luke doesn't tell us anything. Like he's very closed mouth on on injuries, um, but it didn't appear to be anything serious. Um, now we'll wait and see. And I think too is the good thing is, and this is no disrespect to Temple, but no, they disrespect <laughs> the Temple. Yeah, I mean, look, they're not very good, but also I'll do the disrespect. To respect to Temple, they're getting killed by injuries and COVID this year. Um, like their records, one in six, they're not, if they were all there, they're not a one in six football team. They were eight and five last year. They got, they got dudes on that team. It's just that they've had six different players at quarterback this year. Their best, two best wide receivers are hurt. Their best running back is hurt. Uh, their quarterback who started the last two games against Cincinnati, I think it's only played two games this year. Um, one because of a shoulder injury the the other because he was in a quarantine so it's just if anyone's been getting killed in the american conference temple's back here like hey and then <laughs> South for two been getting killed too and if you look at the standings those are the two worst teams um in the conference and it's they've been getting absolutely killed but um if Jarrell is hurt um and if it's anything serious which i don't think it is um but this is a week where you can say all right you know, we don't need you, rehab, take that extra week, Elijah as well. Um, but the fact that guys like Bruno LaBelle's back, which, I mean, he's just a huge presence up front. Um, but if they're gonna do something special this year, they need Jarrell, they need Elijah. Um, they need that defense to be full strength because they're deep and all that stuff. But Elijah's an NFL player. He'll go, man, I mean, if he if, it was, if he was healthy and the draft was tomorrow, he'd be a third round pick. Um, I don't know. If, I mean, I tell people, I think Jarrell is a poor man's, um, gosh, who's the, who's the safety? The, the, the small safety used to be on the Legion of Boom. Eric Thomas, what's his name? Is that his name? Oh, yeah. Eric, Not a blend. Eric Thomas. Yeah. Yeah. So he, like, he reminds me of him, like very undersized, but just scrappy in and every play. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, Temple is, you know, knock on wood, should be a bye week. So uh, <laughs> hopefully these guys can get healthy.
1: And then go into the real bye week. So if, if in your conversations, I know you you kind of sent out a funny statement from Luke Fickle about the fact that he wasn't going to watch the playoff selection show. But yeah. given the conversations you've had around the, the team with players, with coaches, Bearcats come in at seventh. Are they, where are they on the scale? Are they upset? Do they feel disrespected? Are they Are they pleased to see that they have a real chance at this thing? How is the team and the coaching staff feeling about this ranking? Fickle is
0: legit, when he says he doesn't care, like, and I think people are like, of course he cares. That's crap. He couldn't care less. The reason why is because none of these rankings mean anything right now. Like, I mean, you know, I mean, it's it's important for them to be seventh and not sixteenth, obviously, but it doesn't really matter to them until it matters, and that's once the games are over. Now we can take a look at where we stand. Um, they're not naive. They're taking. They're looking at it. They know what's at stake. Um, and I think what we're seeing is these guys step up to the challenge. Um, Luke said he was really impressed with that last win at UCF because that was the first time where their backs were against the wall. That was the number one offense in the country. And Not pretty much
1: everything that could have gone wrong went wrong in that first 100%.
0: Quarter. They were down early. They were down late. Derek Forrest had that huge interception at the start of the fourth quarter. And then there were two sh- quick scores there. And they, they now we, uh, we all had a heart attack at the end of the game, you know, when they almost freaking fumbled it and boom, boom, boom. Um, but they really responded well in that game. They needed their kicker, Cole to Cole Smith, to step up. And he did when he did not play well at that place two years ago. Um, so yeah, man, they're, they're just, they're excited. But I think their goal all season long was to win a championship. And, and that's something that they haven't done yet in, in Fickle's tenure is to win a championship. Um, you know, UCF's got two, right? And Memphis has got one, um, but that's one thing that UC still hasn't done is win a conference championship. And I think before anything else, their number one goal is to be hoisting that trophy on December 19th. And if they can do that and, and win in the meantime, the other games, Everything else should hopefully take care of itself.
1: Yeah, they've absolutely been taking care of business. Um, in terms of coming into the season, winning the American Athletic was clearly the number one goal, given what you just said. Luke Fickle never accomplishing that yet. The reason that Fickle likely is to an extent paying attention to these rankings, however, you know, and I, I know what he's saying, right? He doesn't want them to play according to what the ranking is or according to what they think they have to do or how how much they have to beat a team by but there was this open date, right? December 5th, they've, they moved the Tulsa. I think the American Athletic actually moved the Tulsa game back a week. Some yes. said it might have been the fact that Temple's been having COVID issues like you referenced before. Maybe mm-hmm. they need to push that game back a week for the Bearcats. However, there was all the rumors swirling this week about the Bearcats playing an ad hoc game against BYU that mm-hmm. week, December 5th. Now that the rankings have come out, BYU came in at 14th. Bearcats mm-hmm. are sitting at 7th. Yeah. Everybody's reaction to that is, yeah, don't think we're going to need that game anymore.
0: You agree with Uh -uh. that? Uh -uh. No. And I, you know, I don't know, like like BYU's coach was on was on the show and he's like, look, we're not afraid of anyone because there were talks that they may have been afraid of Washington and whatnot. Um, Now what the rankings look like with BYU going all the way down to 14, they need this game. And I don't know if they're on the phone with John Cunningham and Luke Fickle tonight, going, "Hey, what can we do to, to hook this thing up on the fifth? But if I'm UC, I'm gonna just let that thing ring because we—it's <laughs> it, got to be beneficial. Like if they right. beat BYU, all right, fine, like it's it's cool, you know, it's great. If they lose, holy crap, now, like it just it it, it doesn't it doesn't benefit them to do this. They're in the right spot now. BYU, if 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 you guys were, were a spot you know, above us or if I'm, if I'm, you see, if you're above us, you're a spot below us, you know, if we were close, but dude, you're seven spots, but like holler, like we're good. We're good over here. Sorry, I I lost your number. (laughs) Yeah, we're good. I was, I was
1: a proponent of playing that game before these rankings came out. I felt like, look, I want the Bearcats to leave nothing on the table, whatever we need to do to prove to whoever the powers that be are Let's do that. Let's beat whoever it is on our field, their field, wherever. Let's just do anything we can to move the needle. Once you see the rankings and dive a little bit deeper, you realize, does BYU, does beating a a 14th in the country BYU team, does that make it worth it when you are really just rooting for SEC teams to lose? That's all that really matters. Is us beating BYU going to jump Texas A&M by itself? No. No. The committee's not gonna move the Bearcats above a yeah. or Florida based on beating BYU. So if that's the case, mm-hmm. the, the the cost benefit analysis uh, shows that the Bearcats
0: shouldn't be playing that game anymore. 100% agree with you and I'm sure they do as well. The one thing to look out for though is everyone hears the noise and Fickle and his players are super competitive. And I w- I, I'm not saying, I'm, this is no inside information whatsoever. But just knowing who he is and how competitive he is and how competitive this team is, it wouldn't shock me if like it just comes out, fine, let's do it. Like not <laughs> that they need it, but just to say like, no, we we'll, we can come over here. We'll go out there and we'll still beat them. But you're right. There's, there's no reason to play it if you're Cincinnati. No reason whatsoever.
1: If they choose to go that route, I still don't even hate it because of the fact that think about the national conversation around the Bearcats at that point. Like, hey, they're, no. here's where they are. They're seventh in the country and they're bringing BYU to the table. A team that pretty much by consensus was underranked in these yeah. in these playoff rankings. Like, they yeah. most folks think they should be a top 10 team. Does it make much sense from your brain standpoint? No. But from my heart, like, in terms of just what college sports is about and competition, sure. like, that feels amazing. Like, let's, no, I agree. we're welcoming them to our field to, to smack them down and, and prove our case. Why not?
0: Cincinnati went out and just dumped them. Like if, you know, if, if they won by 21 or something ridiculous, you know, right. Gosh, like that's next. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, okay. it's
1: interesting, right? It says sen- it sends a hell of a statement. If, if you welcome BYU, your field and, and put a, put a beat down on them.
0: That is something
1: worth noting on the national stage.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: So was there any other interesting details from your, you know, conversations post rankings that, that are worth sharing that might be, uh, new to the folks who are listening to this?
0: No, I mean, you know, I did tell Marcus Freeman that I hoped that he was going to be in the five or six spot tonight. Um, just, you know, kind of wishful thinking as the fan in me, people forget I am still a fan. I know I'm a journalist first and I'm objective and I'm here to do a job, but remember I'm a Cincinnati native. I am a Bearcat, so I am rooting for this squad. Um, I did want to see them in the five or six spot, but I seven is cool and I think that's fair. The interesting part was there was a teleconference with um, the chair of the selection committee and the executive director of the college football playoff, and kind of hearing what the other national media members were asking. um, A lot of people wanted to know, you know, about Ohio State and Clemson. Why was that the case? Um, It seems like some reporters up there in Columbus are, you know, just curious. You know, not that they have a beef necessarily, because you can't. I mean, their defense is atrocious. And it's weird because we're not used to seeing that from Ohio State like that. Um, but you know, there was just some interesting, you know, there was a lot of Notre Dame um, questions as far as just what went into that, and then um, you know, the whole you know SEC with the Texas A&M in Florida. I think that that looked really good because I think the head-to-head has to mean something, and I think they showed that that does. And I, you know, I salute to the, the committee because they got a tough job. I mean, it, it's 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 tough in general. But this year, especially when you got some squads playing eight, nine games, other squads playing two, three, four games, it's just a really tough way, um, tough tough route to gauge these teams. But it, it seems like from their conversations and their answers to the other media members that they're actually legit watching these games. And it's, they're just not relying on analytics and numbers and papers. And Because the eye test is important. Like when you look at Cincinnati, you know, okay, look, they're in the American Conference and their stats look like this and they're ranked here and here and they're cool. But when you watch them play, it, it they're different. Like they're just on a different level. Defensively, they're just different. That offense they just played is one of the best we've ever seen. I mean, they're on par with the 89 Houston squad that was putting up 70 a game um, and they relatively just squashed them. Um, and the, what they were doing to Memphis and SMU and these, and, and even Houston whose head coach is a freaking offensive genius um, even though they were hurt, but he's still an offensive mind They can score. They're just different. So to watch these games, I think it's very, very important this year and more so than other years.
1: Yeah. It's, it's all, it's all good to hear that. And I appreciate you sharing those details from the, from what you're hearing in the meetings after the fact. So have a few minutes for some basketball talk. Let's do it. All right we started as a basketball podcast and we're getting to that time of year where we're finally potentially going to see some college basketball games played. I've, as, as the wait has gone on, I've gotten more and more nervous about whether or not the season actually gets played, but look, they made football happen. I think they're going to make basketball happen. We're likely going to see games postponed and canceled just as we Mm -hmm. have in football. But there is lots of reasons, many reasons to be excited about this Bearcats team Sure. And I think I think in general, the national media is sleeping on this team because of the big departures. We lost a former American Athletic Conference Player of the Year in Jaron Cumberland. Yeah. The reigning Defensive Player of the Year in Trey Scott is off the team. Lots of new faces. But frankly, my the vibe I'm getting. And when you watch this intra squad scrimmage highlights, mm-hmm. you can tell that the style of play, the players that are on the team match what the style of play John Brandon wants to play is. What, what did you hear about this this scrimmage? What have you heard about practice so far? Who's jumping off the page? Just give me yeah. what you got on basketball.
0: No, and I think that's that point is key. I think what we're going to see this year is more of John Brandon's team. Like last year, he had a lot of McCronin's guys. Um, he kind of had to run an abbreviated style of what he wanted to do because the guys that he had on his roster just didn't fit what he was trying to do. Well, now he's got... He's got Mike Saunders, a, a a rookie, a freshman point guard who he absolutely loves. This guy, I you know, he seems to be the fastest thing since John Wall. I don't know if you remember when John Wall was at Kentucky. Holy crap.
1: Yeah, I thought of him like Ty Lawson. Like, that's how yeah, he was talking about. A, it was like just a blur on the
0: court. Blur on the court. He can really shoot. He makes sound decisions. Um, so that's something to get excited about. Um, David DeJulius, I think – we're not quite sure what position he'll play and how he'll fit in. I think he'll kind of switch between two and one. And if if Mike Saunders becomes as good as John wants him to be early on, shoot, he may just start and put DeJulius at the two. I'm just saying, who knows? We got to see how this thing hires out. Um, <laughs> but the thing about, their, what they all say about David DeJulius is that his drive and his ability to lead by example, His competitive spirit um, is contagious. And as the new guy, quote unquote, that's sometimes I could rub people the wrong way. Like, hey man, you back it down. Like you just got here, but it seems to have an opposite effect. You listen to Keith Williams and he's like, yo, he made an impact the first day. He's in the weight room throwing up weights. And we're like, yo. So it's like, it seems as though the new guys are fitting in nicely. They got a lot of great, Um, transfers in here. And I think the most exciting thing about this, this team is that we're going to see a different Keith Williams. Um, I think we all know we've seen flashes, right? We know what he can do offensively. He's a great defender. Um, But I think what with, with, with Cumberland gone um, and, you know, I think fans had, had mixed reviews on, on Cumberland, right? But one thing you can say about him is he's very streaky, but when he was hot, watch out, because he could light it up, you know? And in order for that to happen, Cumberland needed his shots. And I think also Cumberland was the type of player, in order for him to truly be happy and to be engaged, he needed his looks. Um, Well, I think now with him out of the way, um, Keith really gets to show what he can do offensively. And I think that that's exciting for him. And he even talked about, He didn't give up. He didn't pout. He didn't, you know, seek a transfer. He just stayed patient and understood that his time would come and it's here. So I'm really excited to see what Keith Williams will see. I I think he says that this team is going to shock the world and shock some people. Um, But I think we're going to see a player that is determined to be great, um, is determined to show what he can really do. Um, And I, you know, knowing, He's from Brooklyn, so he got that New York <laughs> swag, you know, that street boss swag in him um, and mixed that with just his tenacity and, and um, his leadership. And so I, I think that they're in a good spot um, with his leadership and then with just it appears just some really good new pieces that are gelling well and quickly. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know how good they'll be. I think none of us really, truly do. John, frankly, really doesn't know yet but he told us that he thinks that this freshman class could be really, 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 really good. Quote unquote. And that's a lot of reallys. So I'm excited.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I love it. I think the, uh, a lot of what you said there is on the money. So with Keith Williams, the comparison I would make Jaron Cumberland since his sophomore season from sophomore, junior and senior year, basically was the Bearcats offense. Cronin's last two years, he basically ran an offense that was much slower paced than John Brandon plays, but he, because we didn't have a lot of creators, it was put the ball in Jaron's hands. I'm going to be the creator for the team. And whether I get a shot or get a shot for someone else, uh, that's how things are going to go. It was basically the equivalent of James Harden in the NBA, high usage, lots of possessions and a lot of supporting cast. Now that doesn't work well, for guys who can be creators on their own. You see it with James Harden, with Russell Westbrook, with Chris Paul, those guys typically don't like playing with a guy who dribbles the ball as much and runs the offense like a James Harden does. And that's basically what we were entering with J- with Jaron Cumberland and John Brandon, that one year together now with, with a bunch of shooters around Keith Williams and you see mm-hmm. Rappel can extend it to the three point line. Basically everybody except Chris vote on this team can shoot the three. That's mm-hmm. what it seems like.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, That's going to open up a lot of lanes for Keith Williams and a lot of opportunity. And from Keith Williams standpoint, two years ago, coming into last season, the the question was, can Keith Williams be a guy that you don't forget is on the court? He would, he would have flashes of brilliance, flashes of of incredible athleticism, but he'd go, you know, five, seven minute stretches where you just forget he's on the court. Can he make his imprint felt last year? We saw a jump this year. It's kind of like, are you going to have one of those special, senior senior seasons that, are, that we've grown accustomed to with Bearcats, sure. Steve Logan, Kilpatrick, you name it, Gary Clark, like these guys make their presence felt game in, game out, 40 minutes a game.
0: And you know what's interesting about that? And you're right, but that jump is what I wanted to see from Cumberland. Right, we didn't get it. Yeah, we. I was waiting, when he came on in, to this program and I wasn't here, I was just you know, from afar as a fan, I saw Camarlo Anthony. I saw Carmelo Anthony, this guy is big, he's strong, he's aggressive. I thought he could be one of those special, special, special talents and not to diminish anything. I mean, when you look at his stats, I mean, they're undeniable of his impact and his his where his stands in this the, the history of this program. But as far as like, I don't know, I, I didn't see a lot of, hey, y'all get on my back because I'm about to just win it here. Like, there's no way we're going to lose this game. And that's what Carmelo was at Syracuse. But Carmelo was, I don't give a crap what's happening today. We're not losing this game. And I always felt that Cumberland had that skill and that ability, but I'm not sure if he was quite there mentally. Um, And I know that, you know, there was maybe some rumblings of just some um, indifferences between him and Brandon's style and what they wanted out there on the court. Um, and I mean, maybe that had an aspect or an impact on things. But I don't know. And nonetheless, you know, I think it's just, it's just cool this year to see, you know, another year with Brandon. And, and then you got to remember too, Brandon went through a lot last year. He had a really, really tough year um, with the loss of his dad, a lot of other personal things going on um so hopefully with those in the back in the rearview mirror his no his in in you know rebounding from a crazy crazy off season a lot of his guys in the fold um and he's just he's almost giddy when he describes his team so yeah i mean it's 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 going to be an exciting year it's an interesting year it's an intriguing year and i think for the for the first time in a long time um there's hope but there's also like this this um we don't know what to expect, but in a good way. You know what I mean? Right, right, like, right. We don't know it's what's so going to happen. It's so different. It's it's yeah. such a
1: different dynamic coming into the season. There's, there's not a ton of known commodities, a lot of fresh faces. And, yeah. and allow me to stand out on Jaron Cumberland real quick. So sure. your season was an aberration when you compare it to other Bearcat greats. When you consider how, how productive Jaron Cumberland was as a historical Bearcat, his senior mm-hmm. season was overall a disappointment. Now there was mm-hmm. injuries that played into that. New coaching staff, sure. You know all the all the turmoil that you had to deal with in that first season. You had guys quitting the team. Like we just sure. it was just a, it was just a weird year uh, for a senior season. So I think what we did see is junior year. We were used to a guy who would put the team on his back, finish games, mm-hmm. be their game and game out for the Bearcats, and that's why he won mm-hmm. conference player of the year. Yep. That last year, it was just way more inconsistent, and so I think you're right. It's, mm-hmm. it was, it's disappointing. Like I was disappointed for Jaron because of how great he was as a Bearcat for four years or three yep. years in particular. That to go out that way didn't feel right. It didn't feel like it was worthy of his of his skill set. Uh, but again, like I, I look at the guy fondly because of, of everything he brought for a four year period for the Bearcats.
0: No, and that's fair. And, and I, when I did my top five Bearcats of all time, and I, I, I had was a controversial, by the way, it was controversial. It was very, <laughs> which was the point, frankly, Like I, I wanted to, I just got here. I wanted to stir the pot a little bit, um, but I couldn't leave him out of there. I, it's, he's just one of those guys where he's special and, You know, really, when you give him the ball and you put him one on one against anybody in program history, other than maybe two or three other guys, like he's one of those guys where he's going to get buckets and he's a walking bucket. And I just wanted, like you said, I just wanted it to be a little bit more consistent as a senior. And what was at stake there? Um, And that's a That's a um, that's a legacy year. Right. That's the year where you say this is how you're going to remember me as a Bearcat. And unfortunately, it just didn't quite get there for me. But another thing that's kind of cool with this year with Chris Vogt, and I think that I didn't know he had a, a freaking shoulder injury the latter half of the year. And that really explains so much because you watched his play, and I hate to use the word, but he looks soft. Um, and that's, that's and I have no disrespect to him at all, but it makes sense now. He was gender and he was, like, nursing a freaking shoulder injury. right? Um, so I'm excited to see him at full strength. And I know he's one of Brandon's guys. So I know Brandon will challenge to get the most out of him. But I mean, I'm excited, man. It should be a fun year. He's so old school
1: in terms of how he plays in the post. Like every other big man these days, you see, wants to shoot three pointers. And that's basically every other big guy on our team. Mamadou, he's popping threes. Uh, Rapalus, I know he can extend it too. Um, Chris Boat's not going to move outside of that paint. And that's a good thing. That's kind of an interesting wrinkle that not every team has, that you can just throw this guy down low. Yeah. Look, I want to kind of ask you about one last player here. Tari Eason, tons of buzz about him. David DeJulius was quoted today saying, uh, you know, he's not sure if he's going to be here for four years. And mm-hmm. insinuating that the talent is just jumping off the page. He's the kind of guy who could play at the next level in, in, in the NBA. Yeah. And, and I'll loop you in. We spoke to a Seattle, Washington basketball expert, Nars Martinez last year. And we asked him for comparisons for Tari Eason. Like, what's his game like? What's What can we expect? The first one was Jonathan Isaac, who's a okay. who played at Florida State, 6'10, 6'11, rangy, super high-level defender. That made sense. The sure. next comparison he used, and he said, look, I don't want to sound too crazy. This is just based on his high school play. He Uh-oh. said, Tracy McGrady.
0: Oh shoot.
1: Which <laughs> <laughs> Hall of
0: Famer mind I you. mean,
1: like, yeah, Hall of Fame, six eight. Yeah. Know, Players like Kevin Durant looked up to the skill set that Tracy McGrady have. I mean, that is a, right. a wide ranging skill set. But you hear what David DeJulius is saying, you see the fact that he's knocking down three pointers in the scrimmage. Yeah. Any any buzz behind the scenes about how John is going to manage the fact that you have Mamadou, Tari, Chris Vogt, and Rappolis, all of whom could have a good stake to playing decent minutes for the Bearcats this season.
0: Sure. I mean, I think Tari's one of those guys. You know, at 6'8", you know, 2'10", 2'15", lanky, um, he can play a multitude of positions. You know, I could see him playing two, three, four. um, But I I think the sleeper with him that people don't give him a lot of credit for is he was the best player in Washington State. And they got a lot of good high school basketball players in Washington. Um, And, you know, every year after year, they just play great high school basketball up there. And so he... I think John is walking that line between I want people to be excited, but then I don't want the expectations to be freaking enormous. And then maybe he yeah. what I not put too much pressure on. He's just a freshman. Um, and I think that's, it's always kind of weird to put that much pressure on a freshman. Um, and you got to remember too, like this is a tough basketball conference. Like we got Memphis is really freaking good. Houston I'm still waiting for that program to be on probation because, you know, <laughs> but, uh, no, nah, i Sampson. Samson, but I mean, there's a
1: lot of great coaches in the conference, uh, nah, I know. a lot of
0: great coaches, a lot yeah. of great players, a lot of great talent. Um, but no, I mean, he's one of those guys too, where when John, when you ask him about him, he gets giddy and his eyes light up because of the potential. And, and, and so it, it's just, I think with John's biggest, um, Biggest problem, quote unquote, right now is I got a lot of new faces. You know, how can I get these pieces to work? And I think he got some, he's got some guys that maybe played the same position. He's got to figure out, can I get Mike Saunders and David DeJulius on the court at the same time? Can I get Keith to take that next step offensively and be consistent offensively um, without it being forced? I don't want him to feel like he's got to be Jaron Cumberland but can he just be that leader and that consistent offensive weapon that we need him to be? Um, but man, he's this dude, man, like when you, cause we saw him the other day and he's every bit of six, eight, like, he's not like, Oh, he's listed at six, eight, but he's like six, five, six, six no, <laughs> dude's enormous. He's enormous. And if he can just like ball a little bit, people are in trouble. So <laughs> I'm just, I'm excited, man. He's got some good pieces, man. And it, it's, you know the thing that I told, um, I spoke to Lori Pertle today, um, former women's coach.
1: Yeah, she used to do the, an amazing dribbling exhibition at Midnight Madness. I there just you go. That, As a kid, I remember her dribbling exhibitions being like the end all be all. Lori Pertle with the handle.
0: Man, I love Lori, and I so I did a I did a story on uh, Michelle Clark her, and I think the UC women will be really good too. Um, but I did a story on her, and it was basically how Lori Peral gave her her start. And that was just kind of an under the radar story that not a lot of people knew, but it was also to kind of build a little buzz for that program, because they're opening up the season um, on Wednesday night against NKU. And then they play Louisville, a top five team on Saturday. Um, but I was talking to, to Lori and I told her the really cool thing about the coaches on this campus right now is that they all really love being there and they all really want to be there. Like if you look at Luke Fickle, he loves this place. He loves Cincinnati. His kids, his wife, they're happy. He makes good money. He's recruiting really well. They're winning. The fan base loves him. And he's an Ohio guy. Like he really enjoys um, being at this place. And then Brandon has Cincinnati ties and, and Northern Kentucky kid, but his grandmother was here growing up. He was always here. Um, you know, of course, Bobby Brandon, distant relative. So, I mean, there's, 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 And then you got, you know, uh, Michelle Clark Hurd, who she loves Cincinnati. And she got her start from Lori Pirtle, was an assistant here, 2002, 2003, 04, 05, when the UC women were rocking. Like, they were rocking in the tournament every year, Conference Player of the Year, WNBA players. Um, So we have our three most prominent coaches really love being at Cincinnati. It's not like, ah, oh, it's just a stepping stone. I'm trying to get here. I'm trying to get there. Like they're excited and like, we just got the news like CBS did the article the other day, right? you a top 10 program of all time. Top 10 right. program of all time. Right. You know? And- It's uh, so so, as
1: official as official gets.
0: You know what I mean? Like, And I know <laughs> my boss was like, uh, do you see this? Like this will make a lot of people talk. He's like, some people over across the town probably won't like that. Um, But no, man, it's just, I I told her like, it's just really cool to be here for me and to talk with these coaches and them to be really truly happy and excited to be at Cincinnati, which we don't usually see that, you know, Brian Kelly really didn't want to be here. I mean, he made the most of his time here, but this was a stepping stone for him. Usually this is a stepping stone, but these coaches are like, man, I like Cincinnati. I could really build something special here. And that's cool to see.
1: That's dope. So when you talk about the women's team, do we have a sense of kind of what the expectations are? You know, with UConn leaving the conference, that's a huge void in terms of yeah. just an alpha at the top who's going to win year in, year out. All of a sudden, the conference outlook just looks completely different. Is it a team that's expecting to compete for the for the conference championship? Uh, they've got Amari Thomas. Am I saying, I'm saying her name, mm-hmm. right? Amari Thomas, mm-hmm. obviously projected, I think, as a first-team all-conference mm-hmm. uh, for of the year. season. Like, what's the, what's the expectation on this team?
0: She's supposed to be the player of the year. She was selected as the co-player of the year um, in the conference, along with um gosh, I can't remember. I think someone from South Florida, forgive me, I can't remember. But um the thing that was shocking to me was they were picked to finish fourth. And I'm like, really? And so I talked the player of the year. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, Michelle's like, look, you know, we lost a lot. We lost a lot of players and we got a lot of new faces. Um but Michelle, so I'm, I was talking to her and she was like, she's like the Marcus Freeman of recruiting in women's basketball. And if you know, Marcus Freeman has become the hottest name um, in football. And I told him the other day, um, and I, we were just chatting and I said, uh, we only got you for like six more weeks, bro. So make sure. So, you know, let's, you know, we're just kind of, cause he and I are the same age. We know a lot of the same people. We played ball together right. when we were growing up. Um, but I'm like, I don't know how much more time we got with you, but cause his goal is to be a head coach and I'm not saying he's leaving. He didn't tell me anything. Um, but that's just, I mean, that's just reading some yeah. pretty obvious tea leaves. Of course. Of course. And, and he's his goal is to be a head coach. And I think if he gets um, the right offer, I think he's going to jump at night as he should, as he should. Mm-hmm. If he a great FBS offer if it's South Carolina or whatever. Well, let's be frank. Great, great college
1: football programs have their coordinators go on to take head coaching jobs across the country. You can, yeah. you can withstand that type of thing because you're building a pipeline of coaching talent.
0: Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. The the the, the concern I have right now with that is he's such a secret weapon on the recruiting trail. Oh Got- yeah. Like that ace in the hole. He's like, you know, whatever Fickle may not be able to really quite connect with the guy. All right, Freeman, come in. I need you to, you know. <laughs> so that's a little concerning because I, you know, I, I mean, I, I think Fickle's awesome and I think he does a great job with just he gets it. He can get in, go into in the living room um and connect with guys and in their and their parents. Um and and Luke is just a genuine person. Like when you talk to him, love him or hate him, like he's just he's real, he's honest. Um, and, you know, I think you can, you can pick that up. Um, but what I, what, about women's basketball, Michelle, um, she has that ability to really connect with this generation, um, you know, these 16, 17, eight year old kids, um, young people, young men and women um, and getting them to come on this campus. She's done a really good job of recruiting this off season. And so, um, and when you talk with her, like when you talk to a Marcus Freeman, you understand why people want to play for them because it's like, I'm ready to run through a wall. Like I asked Michelle, when we first met, I said, what is your coaching philosophy? And she went on this whole rant about stuff. And after I was done, I'm like, okay, what do I sign? Like, I'm ready to, let's pro <laughs> you know? Um, but I'm just, I'm, I'm excited with her energy They got a a lot of good young players who don't have as much experience but are good. Um, And they got arguably the best player in the conference on their team. And she told me, Michelle, she said that she wants to make that next step of, okay, they've they've got back-to-back 20-win seasons. They just competed for a conference championship. Of course, they lost to UConn. But she's like, this can't be an abnormal thing. Every year now, it's... 25 wins every year. Now it's, we're competing for a championship. We're in the NCAA tournament. That's every year now. Um, And I, I, I'm going to hold her to that. And I believe the expectations now for that program, she's in, she's been here two years had 20 plus wins each year and just played for a conference title. I see no reason why they're going to take a step back. Um, And when you meet her and you talk with her, you get it. You understand why they're doing so well. So they were picked to finish fourth. No, nah, there's no way. There's no way they're finishing fourth in that conference.
1: The the Scott sisters, Jada and Jaden Scott, uh, famously yep. known as as they were the sisters of Trey Scott, but maybe he'll, it'll end up being Trey Scott was the brother of, of these two young ladies. Right. Are right. they expected to play a bigger role this year? They've both got great size. Yeah. You'd yeah. expect them, I mean, if, if they have any sort of trajectory similar to Trey's, it's that slow start. He wasn't a huge, he, he redshirted. Yep freshman year, a little bit, a little bit more. And then obviously each year incrementally was massive
0: improvement. Yep. So I asked, I asked Thomas that because look, I'm being honest. I, I wasn't following this team last year. I mean, I didn't, I got to campus and I got to the city and I interviewed Michelle and I got to learn what she did and what she's been doing. And, um, and so I asked Thomas, I'm like, well, of course we all know how good you are and what you've done but who are some other players that we need to look out for? And those were the first two names out of her mouth. And she was like, yo, just wait, just wait. So she's excited about what's to come. And I, tr- I mean, they see these girls every day. Like, so, I mean, I trust them. Like, I mean, I don't think there, there's any reason for them to um, jump out the window and say something crazy. But I, I just think that there is a lot of excitement um, around that. And then even Lori told me today, she's like, just watch. say like, just watch. And she's special. Like, she's a great recruiter. She's like, she gets it. She can interact with these players in a way that I just couldn't. Like when she was on Lori Perdo's staff, she said she was like her Marcus Freeman. Like she was that in the hole that when I was trying to get a kid to come in, she was the one that I would say, hey, go get her. Um, so, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm just, I just, I just, I get a feeling that with UConn out of the way and her desire to really take that next step, that consistent step to being a consistent path, I think we're going to see that. And um, Man, it should be fun. Should be well, fun. last
1: question on the women's team. I'm really going to test you on this because I, I I discovered something today Uh-oh. that that upset me. I couldn't believe it. I didn't I didn't hear the news. I didn't. I must have missed it on Twitter. Yeah. But last season, I, I went to the Midnight Madness event, the Bearcat yeah. Madness event. Let's not get in trouble for the trademark. Sure. Um, and there was a there was a freshman point guard. I think she was a point guard, Sheila Watson. Okay. who was dynamite with the ball, extremely crafty in the lane. I don't think she played a ton her freshman year, but just exciting, like an exciting basketball player. Yeah. And I saw today on Instagram that she transferred to South Carolina upstate. And I didn't know if you had heard anything about that, if there was an underlying reason for it. I, it was just a disappointed fan of this one player hmm. that had not heard that she had actually transferred to a new school.
0: No, and that's that's a name too that we haven't heard much about. So I'm not sure if that's something that's been in the works or what. But no, I'm I'm not in the know. I'm not in the know there. Oh man, next time, next time you
1: let maybe you could po- right poke around, or around about that and just text me on the side because I was I was disappointed to see that news for sure.
0: Yeah, that is disappointing though. Yeah, let me let me text Michelle right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Last my uh, the question I'll ask you, I guess why you do that, and just maybe just because I can, because I got you here yeah let's do it going back to the men's team is micah adams woods zach harvey two guys we didn't talk about at all both mm-hmm. coming back for their sophomore seasons mm-hmm. micah's freshman season was much more consistent got a lot more minutes Averaged close to i think 25 28 minutes a game and i think the big question is everyone's kind of slotting david DeJulius into that point guard spot probably for good reason that two guard spot I've been banking on the consistency and reliability of Micah Adams Woods to kind of give him the leg up on Zach Harvey. What are you hearing, and what would what do you, how do you see that playing out in terms of who might you expect to be a more consistent contributor this coming season?
0: Of those two, that's interesting. Um, and I, you know, and I asked um, John about their roles because I think I think everyone's role is going to change this year. Whatever your role was last year, don't expect to have that same role. You had two guys on the team and Trey and Jaren who took up so much of everything. And that, and I say that in a positive way. Um, with those two guys out of the fold, I think that everyone's going to have to compensate in the leadership department defensively, offensively. Um, so it, 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 I think I don't know what their goals are going to be because I think there's that out i think as we go and as we you know as they're learning each other and and i think this season is going to be weird because we're probably going to have a cancellation here or two or three there um just i'm guessing but just how things are shaping out it's already happening guys are already starting to you know get COVID and are canceling games here and there arizona's having issues arizona state had issues um but i think it's just a situation where everyone's trying to find out what their role is going to be. And I think this season, especially given that the uncertainty of everything, the weirdness of the off season, they weren't to be able to be available as much as they usually are. Um, I think it's going to take a little bit of time for this team to figure out what exactly their roles are gonna be. I really believe that David DeJulius is gonna be the two and Mike Saunders is gonna be the point guard. I just think that blowing it's blowing
1: my mind with that prediction.
0: I really believe that, and I just, I just think because he says he says nothing but great things about Mike Saunders, and he loves this kid. He loves this kid, um, and I think that he's. When we ask him about you know David DeJulius, hey, is he a point guard? He always says stuff like, "Look, I don't, I don't want to, you know, you know, hold a kid to one position." <laughs> You know, he, he's in you know, playoff he, ball. He did at Michigan.
1: He can play off ball. And that's
0: probably 100%. 100%. And yeah. they, they had maybe one of the best point guards in the conference in the big 10 over there in, in Michigan. So um I just, it wouldn't shock me, man. You know, he says that Mike Saunders is getting much stronger now that he's in the program in the weight room. Um, He's fast. He shoot well, he shoots well. He makes great decisions. There's no negative that we've heard about. He's not saying, well, he's having a tough, time grasping the offense and he's a little slow defensively and getting in the rotations and everything seems like this guy's awesome right <laughs> <laughs> i am mean, not so bullish
1: I, on him for sure it's just that that is a wild come up if he's going to like if he's going to supplant the two guys who were here last season I know it's just a prediction I know you're yeah, not reporting and, and it, this like, isn't yeah like, I'm not I'm
0: not saying this is what he's told us I just It's great I, news regardless we're deep we're just deep as hell if that's the case Yeah I think it's just I think it's two guys it's just we have to find a way to get them on the court. If we're going to optimize our full potential and win as many games as we can, these are two talented guys. we got to figure out a way to get them on the court. And if we can get them on the court at the same time, it benefits all of us. And I just think that given how David DeJulie has played at Michigan, given the skill set that Mike Saunders has, it just wouldn't shock me if those two guys are on the court at the same time. And it wouldn't shock me by midseason if they're starting, they're just the starting one and two. You know, I just it wouldn't shock me.
1: Love it. You heard it here first. Well, Keith, you've been extremely generous with your time. I am gonna I'll end it here. Again, you can find Keith's work at Cincinnati.com, Cincinnati Enquirer. He's uh the Cincinnati Bearcats reporter, offering up great insights all season. We really appreciate it, sir. Thanks for making time again today.
0: My man, always a pleasure. Whenever you need me, man, just holler.
1: And I'm not sure what kind of witchcraft you pulled off to be the beat reporter. I'm sorry, to be the Cincinnati Bearcats reporter the year that you've got the football team competing for the playoff. You've got the basketball team as, you know, as much buzz as there's ever been.
0: I don't Um, know know what magic you're pulling over there, man. It's it's, it's pretty busy, too, because ordinarily you wouldn't care this much about the football team. No disrespect, but that's just how it's been historically. But the fact that they're this freaking good, I got to churn out content every freaking day to feed the beast. Right. It's fun, man. I love it. And I'm glad to to be here to experience all of this. This is a lot of fun. We appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. All right, man.